0: When people come to hear the gospel message, they often bring with them their own preconceived notions of what it's all about. They may realize that they have a need because of their sin, which is very important, but then contribute their own ideas as to how to get rid of their sins. Some depend on their good deeds, others on religious observances such as baptism or communion, still others on their background, their church affiliation, or even their sincerity. But there is no support in the Bible for any of these methods. In today's broadcast, speaker Shad Kember, Jr. takes a closer look at some of the many verses in the Bible that make clear for us God's way of salvation. We trust that the gospel clarifications made by Mr. Kember today will help you to know how you can be sure of sins forgiven and peace with God.
1: We'll look at a verse That's found actually in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and it's found in verse number 12, where it says that the Lord Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. His own received him not. That's actually verse number 11. And now verse number 12 says, but as many as received him, received Christ, to them gave he the power or the right to become the children of God. Even to them that believe on his name. So that's giving us a little explanation of what happens when a person gets saved. They receive the Lord Jesus. And if you don't know what that means, it actually gives a little second explanation and says that they believe on his name. So this kind of tells us that these are individuals that heard about the Lord Jesus. They were introduced to him, they learned about his name, his saving name, his name actually means. Jehovah saves. Jehovah, the Savior, and the Lord Jesus is the Savior. And they believe on his name because they are understanding that he alone can save, that he is able to save, that he is willing to save. And they are understanding the message that if they trust him to save them, then they are blessed eternally. In this verse, it actually tells us that they become Part of the family of God. They actually become one of the children of God. They enter into this relationship with God as their father, with other people who are saved as their brothers and sisters in Christ. They become one of the children of God. That helps us understand that we are not naturally or automatically just by virtue of coming into this world and being born into this world. Being born into an earthly family doesn't mean I belong, that I'm one of the children of God. That's why I need to be born again. But I digress. There's actually another verse that we're going to look at here. I hope you can see the whole thing. The next verse, number 13, says, which were born, and then it gives three clarifications by saying which were born of God. And it says here that they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. I want to just take a moment to think about this particular passage. This verse is telling us what salvation is not and what it is it tells us that it is something in which a person is born of God. John chapter 3 talks about being born of the Spirit, okay? So it's emphasizing that if you are going to be saved, it takes God to make that happen in your life. God wants to make that happen, and that's God's intention, God's plan. So it's very important. That's why When we have these kind of meetings, we're not going to give you some kind of a special formula, some kind of a recipe, some kind of a saying that you can repeat, some kind of a a prayer that you can repeat, and then tell you that if you do that, you're saved. The reason we're not going to do that is because we understand that it takes God to save. And if God saves you, you will truly be saved, and you'll be saved for all eternity. So before each of the meetings that we have been conducting, We actually have a little meeting before, and it might be little because not a lot of people are on it, but it's big in importance. And what we are doing is we are asking God, and we are actually taking the names of people that we know who might be listening to these meetings, and we are taking them into the presence of God, bearing their names before the throne of God and pleading for the salvation of souls. Why do we do that? Because we understand we can't save you. We understand you can't save yourself, but we understand that there is a God who is a savior. His gospel is a glorious gospel. And it is the God who wants all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's what salvation is. It's an act of God. It's a work of God in saving you. But the reason some people are not saved is because they've tried to get saved in the wrong way. So this verse, John helpfully tells us What it is not. And he says, number one, it is not of blood. Now, that simply means that it's not your pedigree. If you think you're saved because your parents are saved, you are just trying to get saved the wrong way. And if you try to get saved by good works, that won't work. If you try to get saved by the waters of baptism, that won't work. And if you try to get saved by the wrong way, for example, thinking that somehow you're safe or you have a better chance of being saved, that you are somehow closer to the door, that somehow you have a particular claim on God, and that you are somehow a special class apart from everybody else. John says, no, do not look at your parents and think that you'll get saved because of them. That's a scary thing because that tells me that actually parents could be saved, and it doesn't mean their children will be saved. I don't know any parents who are saved, who have children, but that they pray and even prayed before they were born, prayed over them as the child was developing in the womb of the mother. And coming down to the day of the birth of that little child, and even on the very birthday, the very day when that little baby was born and came into the world, a mother and a father, one of the things that they would do on that occasion I did it with my own children to ask God that that little child might come to know Christ as Savior early in life. I was under no illusion that God was obligated to save my children. God's not obligated to save me or to save anybody else, but God is merciful and pleading and banking on God's mercy. Many of us who are parents. And had children who were not saved. We bowed our knees many times. We prayed for them many days. We were worried about them. We were alarmed about them. This verse tells me that because your parents are saved, it does not make you saved. Someone has said that being born into a Christian family is a wonderful blessing. But it no more makes you a Christian than if you were born in a stable would make you a horse. Just being born in a Christian family, no more makes you a Christian than being born in a stable would make you a horse. It's pretty simple, pretty obvious, eh? So every person needs to be saved. So it's not because of your lineage. It's not because of your background. It's not because of your pedigree. But John also tells us there's another thing that sometimes people get mixed up about when they try to get saved. And they think that they are saved when in fact they're not. And the reason they think they're saved is because they have actually made a commitment to follow Jesus. John says, this being born again, this being born of God is not something that is a result of the will of the flesh. It doesn't come about because of your own, shall I say, your own intention, your resolve. Your wanting to be saved doesn't make you saved. Even if you were to declare yourself to be saved, that doesn't make you saved. Repeating certain words doesn't make you saved. There's no magic in some special prayer that you can do, and presto or bingo, you are now saved. So it's very important to realize that it is not by the will of the flesh. Salvation is not your promise to Christ, but it's Christ's promise. To you. Which would be more reliable, your promise to Christ or his promise to you? I don't even think I need to tell you the answer because you already know that answer, don't you? But there are people, and I've heard even Christians say this innocently, I'm sure, innocently, well intentioned, and they'll talk about someone making a commitment to Christ. What in the world does that actually mean? Well, it certainly sounds like. And I've even had individuals that have done that and told me what it meant. What it meant was they were promising that they were going to serve the Lord Jesus from that day forward. They were going to follow him. That was kind of like a vow that they were making. And this was a, almost like a, like a New Year's resolution. That from this day forward, they were going to try to please the Lord and they were going to try to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. John says, Uh Uh-uh, that's good, but the rest of the Bible actually tells us that that comes after salvation. That's actually called consecration. Consecration is when I say, here I am, Lord, take me, use me, make me whatever you want me to be made into, and send me where you want me to go, have me do what you want me to do, and on a daily basis, a person that is saved should have that kind of an attitude. Consecration is good if you're saved. You don't get saved by giving your heart to Jesus. You don't get saved repeating a sinner's prayer. Now, I know that God in his mercy can save someone that might do that, but the Bible never gives that kind of a prescription. You don't get saved by being in a church service and coming up to the front, coming to the altar and having someone pray over you. You see what we're talking about? What we're trying to underscore is that Salvation is a work of God, so it is not by blood, it's not in your pedigree, it is not by the will of the flesh. That means it's not your promise to Christ. And he then says, It is not of the will of man. In that case, it's not talking about you, but it's talking about somebody else maybe around you. Maybe it's a preacher, it's another person, and that person maybe is wanting you to be saved, maybe it's your mom. And you go to your mom and you say, mom, I want to be saved. What do I do? And mom says, well, I'll pray with you and you'll be saved. And so she prays with you. And now she says, you're saved. Would you believe her if she said that? With all due respect to your mom or to your dad, if I told you you were saved, would you believe me? Don't, don't. You need to get your assurance of salvation from the word of God. So that's why we offered the other night a list of verses, sort of like a mini guide. So let's supposing you are wanting to be saved and you wanted to be saved really seriously. You wanted to be saved tonight. Get out the word of God and look at verses and read them, write them down on a piece of paper. I told you one night to write it out on a piece of paper, the verse we were speaking on and to tape it up on the wall. I'm going to tell you another thing you could do, not just write it out, not just put it up on the wall and not just read it out loud. You could even memorize it. Now, none of those things are tricks to get you saved. But what it's doing is it's causing you to stop and think on the word of God. It's you giving God the opportunity to talk to you and to inform your mind and to give you light so that you might be saved. So this is a wonderful thing to understand. It is not because of your parents. It is not because of your promise. It is not because of another person. It is being born of God. So what I want to do right now is I just want to quickly walk through a number of verses that are to tell us, instead of you making a promise to Christ, I want to take you to some verses in John's gospel where Christ makes a promise to you. And you know, if he makes a promise to you, I can assure you that it is 100% true. And I can assure you that it is absolutely for you. It is written to you. It is Christ talking to you. So look at this verse, if you will, with me. Look for a second with me. Here's the words. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. Notice what is the promise here? Shall not perish. Shall not perish. That actually is found three times, at least, in John's gospel. It's found in John 3.16. Okay? It's found in John 5 and 24. Okay? Okay? He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. That's the same idea. What we're talking about here is we're talking about a promise of protection. This person is exempt. This person will not be brought into judgment. He will not, he or she will not perish. And here's another verse. The Lord Jesus says about his sheep, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's a beautiful thing. Three times over. And a threefold cord, the Bible says, is not easily broken. God only has to say it once for it to be true. This is a promise that is absolutely reliable. But listen to what it says. Will not perish. Shall not come into condemnation. And I understand it's in the strongest possible emphatic negative form possible to be expressed in the Greek language. What is it? It is the Lord Jesus trying to say to you that if you are sheltered by his precious blood, there's something that will never, ever, ever, ever happen to you. You will not perish. You will not come into condemnation. You shall never perish under the wrath of God. You will never go to hell. You're guaranteed a place in heaven. If that was true, would you be worried about where you're going to go when you die? If that was true, when you laid your head on the pillow tonight, would you be at ease? I can tell you, it gives a wonderful comfort and a wonderful consolation. This promise of protection, but it's not the only one. If you can stick with me for a second, take a look at this. So here's another one. The Lord Jesus says, I promise satisfaction whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. He was sitting beside a a well of water and he was talking to a woman and he said, if you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. But he that drinks of the water that I shall give him, that's just a shorthand way, an illustrative way that the Lord Jesus is talking about salvation. It's like taking a drink of water. Whosoever, he that drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He says this in John chapter 6 as well. So it's telling us that the Lord Jesus is promising satisfaction. Never going to run into anybody that's going to say to you, hey, you know what? Can't stand being saved. I hate the fact that I got saved. (laughs) Ever since I got saved, my life has just been a disaster. No, no. They'll say, you know what? The only complaint I have about getting saved is that I didn't get it sooner. That's the thing. Satisfaction. We sing now none but christ can satisfy none other name for me there's love and joy and lasting peace lord jesus found in thee the lord jesus promises protection from judgment he promises satisfaction as you head on the journey home to heaven he promises something else here's what he says him that comes to me i'll know no wise cast out you know what he's telling you there i promise you reception. So that if you come to the Lord Jesus, you don't need to fear rejection. He's offering you reception. It's a warm welcome. It's open hearted. It's open handed. It's right now that He is waiting for you to come. Him who comes to me, I will never, ever cast out. And another thing He promises is He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What's this about? This is talking about. The fact that he's promising illumination. He's promising you direction in your life. He's promising you his guidance. You'll be able to count on him. You're not going to walk in the dark. You're going to be in the light. You're going to have the light of life. That's a wonderful thing. And I believe there is one more that we can talk about here. And that is resurrection. I'm the resurrection in the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So if a person is saved before they die, there's resurrection. Though he dies, yet will he live. Physically, he'll live because he has everlasting life. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Maybe a reference to people that are alive at the return of Christ at the rapture. But here's the point. Here's the punchline. The punchline is this, that even death doesn't disturb this wonderful salvation. You can have salvation and be assured of protection from judgment. There's no dread, no dread. And you can be assured of satisfaction, never have any complaints about the Lord Jesus and the wonderful salvation that He gives you. And you can be sure that He will receive you if you come to him tonight. You're going have no doubt about that whatsoever. and you can Be assured of his direction and presence with you in the rest of the journey. You'll walk in the light. You'll have the light of life. You'll not walk in darkness. No darkness. And when it comes to even death, to know that on the horizon is the guarantee of resurrection. No despair. No despair. Wonderful thing when a person comes to the end of life to know that Christ is the Savior. Maybe they hardly got any strength, but they can raise the hand and they can point up the finger. Maybe they can't even talk. Maybe they're intubated. Life is fading away. They can just maybe nod their head. Maybe they can just give some indication. The hope that they have as they leave this little valley of the shadow of death is that Jesus is coming again. No despair. I hope that these promises will not only give you consolation tonight, but they'll give you full persuasion that what the Lord Jesus promises, they're not hollow, they're not empty, they're not exaggerated, they're not false, they're true, they're reliable. And if you were to trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you will have a genuine, valid, authentic salvation. And you will never, ever be disappointed.
0: Yes, salvation is totally of the Lord. We need to put aside our own way and take God's way. We cannot contribute a single thing to save ourselves. We must trust entirely in what God has already done through His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful gift God's salvation is. And what wonderful promises God makes to us. Promises that we can depend upon. Open up the Bible and read it today, won't you? In it, you will find all that God wants you to know about how to get right with Him. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail dot com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website At anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gathering Center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.